Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is episode number 32 of Material Issues. I'm Mark Hirschberger, Pop Detective Records, and joining me as usual on it's like the it's like it's like one what one eighth of the Brady Bunch, my good friend from the International Pop Overthrow Festival, Mr. David Bash. How you doing tonight, David? Hey, Mark. I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing fantastic. Why, you might ask? Well, on the Facebook group, we just turned over 1,000 members of Material Issues. Yeah. The crowd is going a little bit crazy. We got 1,000 members. We only had to members. pay 900 of them. We only had to pay 900 of them, so Dave and I, David and I are a little short on cash for tonight. However... To celebrate 1,000 uh, members, you've seen me wearing it right now, Material Issues. Material Issues t-shirt. We're going to give away two t-shirts tonight. And here's what's going to happen. If you're watching the show, if you're a member of Material Issues group, what I'd like you to do is share the fact that this exists and ask your friends to join the Material Issues group. And if they do, when they join... Have them drop us a message on Material Issues group page and say, listen, I just joined Material Issues uh, because of so-and-so, a friend who's a member. And the new person and the person sharing will each get a Material Issues t-shirt. So if you want a free t-shirt for the holidays, tell your friends about Material Issues. The first person who has a friend that joins the group and tells us that they're here because of this person. You'll both get a T-shirt. And congratulations, David, on 1,000. And there's Andy. Speaking of Andy Hartley, hey, evening, Andy. Hey, Andy. Good to see you. 1,000 uh, 1, members on the page. That is uh, that's pretty darn nice. That's, that's not pretty, bad. That's not, that's not bad for uh, a couple of, couple of old guys sitting around talking to musicians and things. I'll take it. Speak for yourself. Know. I know. I, well, yeah. I, I, told, I just turned 60. Of course, by definition, if you're old, I don't know, that makes me like a codger. Yeah. Older. So. Mm -hmm. To go ah. flat, too. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Clat too, I, you know, I hadn't been on the Clat two Rocks page for quite some time. I just, you know, you, you lose direction sometimes. There was a French pressing of a 45 for Woody Woodpecker. And the Whoa. B side, yeah, for but the B side was called Ma Jolly Julie, which is a cover, a French cover of Juicy Lucy. Wow. And somebody brought it up, and it, like you can't find the vinyl, but there's a YouTube posting of the actual thing, and it's like Ma Jolly Julie, I can't speak French, but it it's probably the weirdest Klaatu related. Music thing I've ever heard in my life. I'll so check that out. Check it out, my jo my jolly Julie, on the B side of Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> Alrighty, then. Uh, I love it. Someone saying hi, you guys. Hello. Andy's Wherever looking forward. Hi. The Andy's looking forward to the show because he's met Jeremy. Nice. Yeah, looking forward to that. That's true. So that's I what's was, going on. Yeah. I guess I was never a guest. No, no. Although a couple of times when I when I couldn't 
keep my connection. I, I suppose I was a guest because I came in the middle. Yeah. Or, but you're, but you're, uh, you're, you're feeling okay, uh, David, uh, health-wise, everything good? You're rocking and rolling? okay, ready to, um, I'll make this official announcement, ready to start yet again on January 1st, another diet, <clears throat> lifestyle change. Lifestyle because change. every time I lose weight, I put it back on, and uh, I just cannot let that happen again. But first, I have to lose the weight again, which I know I can do. But, right. but, the question is, can I keep it off? And the answer is, I damn well better because, you know, after that, even though it was a false alarm, well, thank you, Andy. Even though it was a false alarm last week when I went into the cardiologist, it just makes me think, you know, I, you know, if I keep doing this, uh, the next one's not going to be false. And right. we just can't have that. So starting well, on the first New Year's resolution and all that, I'm going to lose the weight and keep it off. So, well, I told you my secret eat for fuel, not for taste and pleasure. Only eat when you're hungry and your body needs it. And at night, eat a lot of garlic and onions and spicy stuff because the next morning it all, <laughs> it all comes out quickly. <laughs> That's my diet plan. I'm you know, what, whatever works. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep with you, but whatever works. Not it. Never again. <laughs> right. That's what I meant. I know. <laughs> uh, it's all good, my friend. It's all good. Yeah, you'll be all right. You'll, you'll you'll do it. Yeah, you'll, you'll drop I, I, the weight. Thank you. you. I think I will. Um, at any rate, we have a fun show tonight because our guest is really. You know, he's one of a kind. That's all I can say. And, you know, while for some people that may not be a good thing, being one of a kind, it certainly is for this man. And he is, he is so many things to so many people, as I, as I, as I'm wont to say. He's, uh, he's a man of God, uh, singer, songwriter, musician, extraordinaire, guitar hero, label owner, jam recordings, music teacher, wonderful family man, community person, and all that. And he's been doing this music thing for a long time. And he just, to quote him, it's getting better. Would you please give a huge welcome to Mr. Jeremy Morris? And there he is. Oh, yes. Hey, Jeremy. Welcome. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Look, we all have pleasure. we all have our part of our music collections in the background. <laughs> yes, and um, I'll I'll try to stand up and get an angle so you can get a clue of the madness back here. Yeah, um, last time I was at your place, I don't recall seeing all this vinyl displayed this way. No, I got it all um, in order <laughs> from A to Z. And uh, it, now I can find everything really easy. And uh, so I, I play records a lot, um, all the time, every day. And then I play CDs when I'm in the car. So I have a room full of records, another room full of CDs, and then a room full of the stuff from the Jam Records website that I sell. So that's, uh, you know, I stockpile other people's music. And of course, yep. it's the majority of it's power pop stuff. So. And you got it all alphabetized from A to Z. Yeah, that's quite that's quite uh, that, that's quite a task right there. I remember 
when the deadbeat poets were at my house, John Corey, who worked for a label, he was going through my whole CD selection. And at the time, I didn't have it alphabetized. I was just moving things around. And it, it drove him crazy that it wasn't in alphabetical order or in right. some sort of did he alphabetize it for you? He started working on that. I said, don't touch it. I won't know where anything is. So, you know, but <laughs> I've, I have weird, since corrected the problem. What was weird for me is when I first alphabetized it, it was harder to find stuff than when it wasn't. Right. Because you knew you knew exactly where something was in a pile. Uh, I know. That was the way I well, was. I paid, I paid or Arena and I paid our good friend Brian Adamson to put my records in order, mostly CDs, that I should mm -hmm. say. And uh, as you've seen my collection, you know how huge it is. And to have that stuff out of order was, it became really problematic after yeah. a while. But I just don't have the patience. So he came and he, he put everything in order. And uh, it's been extremely helpful. And now I have to put my two my 2020 stuff in order. You can't see it, but I have a, a blank spot on the bottom shelf of the, of this box set rack. Uh, my my box sets are in the other room right now, um, and uh, they need to be transported in here, put in order, and uh, so I can do my best of lists. Mm -hmm. Jeremy may have a couple of albums on my best of list. I'll have to that think about that. But I think and, they'll probably find, I'll, I'll be able to find some spots for them. And I have, a, I have a very important person with me here in the room. And he has uh, been uh, playing drums and doing recordings with me for about 40 years now. And he is the only person, can you see him right there? Yes. Oh my hey, God! Dave. I didn't. I didn't recognize him since he cut his hair. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get him in there a little bit. This is Dave. How and, are you, Dave hey, Dietrich? Dave. Good to see you. Good to see you guys too. Good nice to see you, my friend. Been, yes, indeed. It's been too long because of COVID, but we'll we'll see you in April. Yes, that's right. Yes, and and Dave has uh, stuck with me mm -hmm. for for all these years and um, been a great friend. Uh, which I think is an important part of the music because if you're friends and you're having fun doing it, it really comes through in the music. Yes, Jeremy, indeed. we're only seeing the bottom of your face right now. I know. I just was trying to get Dave in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, now we're both in there. And look who else is here. Hi, and Jeremy. Rena's here. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hi, Good Rena. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year almost. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, some of my best times uh, musically were uh, in Liverpool, uh, hanging out with uh, Dave and Jeremy, and God rest his soul, Todd. And Todd is here in spirit, but Todd always made a joke about the phrase being here in spirit. Uh, he, he said one time there was a show and hardly anybody showed up, and he said... Uh, he said, I think there's a lot of spirits floating around in the room because all these people emailed me and said, I can't make the show, but I'll be there in spirit. Right. <laughs> so that's a Todd joke. That's a Todd joke. I love it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm a joker. He always, he always kept us laughing with all kinds of ridiculous jokes. Man. So since I, I wasn't going to start off with this, but since uh, Mark brought up Liverpool, I have to ask about the incident. We've got to talk about that. And you know what? Mark knows what I'm talking about. 
Rena knows what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about because I only saw it on tape. I was in the, on the other stage. The time when you guys knocked at the end right. of your show, you knocked down all your instruments. That you got to tell everybody about. Okay. About well, it was it was not planned, um, <laughs> which is is probably a good thing. And I actually have. Um, I have a, a bunch of footage from people in the audience. I think Mark actually sent me some of it. If I, remember. I th yeah, I think I did send it to you. Yeah, and, and then I got some other uh, footage from people in the audience, and and I'm thinking of someday putting it up on YouTube, if the cavern won't fire me permanently. <laughs> but it was it was definitely anarchy in the UK, in the truest <laughs> sense, because um, it just was one of those those things where. Uh, the, the frenzy of craziness started to escalate and and we were you know doing the uh stave digest, dive diving into the audience and they were catching us and throwing us back <laughs> on the stage and jumping up and down and i jumped up and hit my head real hard on the ceiling of that cavern and cut cut my head open and blood was running down my face <laughs> and, and that that you know i wasn't trying to be iggy pop it was an accident <laughs> and, then, and then the crowd went more nuts and then um my daughter got this great idea to start knocking and turning the amps over and throwing the microphones around and uh, at this point i was like what are you doing but i guess the spirit of the moment of all this um organized chaos we were playing but you know i'm bleeding blood's running down my head people are screaming uh it was insane. It was like one of those things you don't plan, and it just it 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 went nuts. And I, I'm glad it happened because uh, it, it it definitely resonated, and people are still talking about it decades later. Uh, but um, I was then later uh, pulled into a private room uh, and reprimanded severely for for unhealthy behavior. I just remember thinking. I just remember thinking, because uh, some of the cavern staff came up to me and said, you know, if any of those amps are broken, you're going to have to pay for it. And I remember thinking, if there's one person in the world who would take responsibility, it's Jeremy. Glad it was him. Not some young kid band who, who were going to say, I'm not, I don't have any money. <laughs> and then it would have been all on me. This was how I appeased them. I just, I just said, listen, if anything's broken, I'll pay for it. <laughs> and, um, what a time that anyway, was! Holy that, cow! That, hey, listen, I I gotta find David. David, you remember this? This is that was the front stage we're talking about. Remember on the backstage, probably the next year when Jeremy got the great idea during the end of Pop Rules to to grab onto that water pipe. <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah, and, and it's bending. I can see it on the drums. It's bending. It's gonna snap, and he's still swinging back and forth. That was not also a moment that the cavern. Uh, oh my God! I was. Jeremy was actually not the first person I've seen swing from that water pipe. Oh, I'm amazed that water pipe survives. It's stronger than it looks. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I God, really right? thought the whole place was going to get flooded. That's what I <laughs> but again, you know, I I think with 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 true live performing, if you are living in the moment, there's going to be some stuff that's going to happen. And that's, yeah. that's part of the fun of a live show, you know? It's just funny, though. I think of all the artists and bands and things that have played IPO Liverpool at the Cavern. 
if you had a trivia contest and you said to David, who's the one artist that was the most destructive? <laughs> I don't know that everybody's answer would be Jeremy right away. <laughs> yes. And of course, um, like I said, it wasn't planned. Um, and as long as, you know, I think people know if I break something, I'm willing to pay for it. I have, um, over the years, broken uh, many th things on stage. I um, th th These weren't necessarily shows that you were at, but uh, one year I um, I got real excited and I jumped up and, and the guitar came down and hit a cymbal and the cymbal sliced the neck off the guitar and went flying. <laughs> the next thing I knew, I had a headless guitar. And... Um, uh, you know, I just kept, we just kept going, but we've had a lot of shows like that, actually. Uh, and never know when that's going to happen. Uh, sometimes they're just normal and, and the crazy stuff doesn't happen, but I'm always willing to go for it. And, uh, but I have injured myself a few times performing. We, um, we, there was a big festival here in Kalamazoo in, in, uh, about, about 2009. And, it was that crazy stuff started happening again. And so I got this idea to um, just run and jump off the stage with a guitar in my hand. But the problem was I didn't realize the stage was about 10 feet high. <laughs> and so when I hit the pavement, I, I really messed up my feet, you know? And I, the minute I hit the pavement, I was like, uh-oh. So... I'm trying to be a little <laughs> less reckless if, if I can, but it is kind of in me to, to just do that. I mean, when I was a kid, I was like that. I would I'd climb up on the roof and jump off it. It sounds ridiculous when I think about it. You know, what was I thinking? It's a miracle I didn't break my leg, but I guess that's always been a side of me. <laughs> you know, you're in the moment and you're having fun. But value added. It, it's uh, you know you you put on a it's not just the music it's just the whole live experience and uh, that's important. It I really think I up. think uh, I think David, if you create a YouTube uh, commercial for your next IPO Liverpool week, uh, I, I think it's got to feature the destruction of the stage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why the cavern doesn't have that in their promotional video. <laughs> I love well, it. You know, speaking of the cavern. That year that we did that, and we we knocked over um, the amps and threw the mics around, and you know, Stave dived dived into the audience, banged my head on the ceiling, cut my head open and bleeding, and all this nonsense. The next year, in the front of the stage, they put like a barrier, and people <laughs> came up to me and they were saying, "Look, it's the Jeremy barrier." <laughs> They also have little cushions on the, on the bricks now so that you don't clunk your head quite so hard. Yeah. But that's, oh, that's I've clunked ceiling. my head going off that stage so many times. Yeah, but the stage ceiling is so low the way it curves. And so you can bang your head on it pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, Good know, times. So I was bleeding on stage and it was like it was the real thing. You know, got blood if you want it. What, you know? <laughs> Always, always a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed good show. 
since uh, since we only have an hour here, let's shift gears a little bit. Even though we could talk about th that incident forever, but um, <laughs> when, take us back to your childhood. Um, your dad was a professional musician. Um, did did that was that very important in the foundation of your you know your musical youth, so to speak? It it was it was hugely important uh, because I started very young when I was about six with the piano and my dad was a very well educated uh, musician, jazz musician. He played all kinds of instruments, trumpet, sax, trombone, vibraphone, piano. He, and, you know, he knew all these instruments and he was working with jazz musicians and he was working with some, some pretty well-known jazz musicians. There's uh pictures of me uh when i'm like three and four years old with some of these musicians but he you know he he performed on stage with, with people like um henry mancini he wow. was he was the uh, lead trumpet player for the song peter gunn wow wow and that's why i would always you know many times even when i went to the cavern i would play peter gunn people probably didn't know why why are you playing Peter? Gunn I didn't know until right now. Pop? Yeah, until right now. <laughs> well, you know, why are you playing Peter Gunn in the middle of a power pop set? It's because <laughs> my dad played with him in in his, you know, his touring band. Wow. Wow. So That's um, it was it was crazy. So I was around. I was surrounded by uh, music people, and my dad's sister. Um, whose name is Audrey Morris, was also a, a very well-known um, jazz singer, cabaret-type singer in the Chicago circuit. So this was just going on all over the place. She had records out on the chess label so in the 50s. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of history. Um, it's all on, my, all on my dad's side of the family, not on my mom's. But my dad, um, what was cool about it was he... Uh, he, he kind of just was helping me every step of the way to do this music thing. And uh, so I didn't go get a job at McDonald's. I just did music. And it's wow. been that way the whole time. How did rock and roll enter the picture? Yeah. I just, I just was kind of just picking up on whatever I was listening to. So, of course, the, the early ones that I was listening to uh the first record I got was a Beatle record and my dad bought it for me because I was five years old and they had just, they had just appeared on Ed Sullivan and uh, everybody knows about that. Right. It was what February 64 or somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I saw that and it blew my mind and I said, I want their album. So he took me right out to the store and bought their album. And then of course I wanted every album that, came out as it went <laughs> and 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 i got them you know so i started co record collecting actually at age five and and so uh the other bands that i was buying at that time that i had albums of as you know you know from up age five to ten was i had albums by the dave clark five herman's hermits every mother's son some of those kind of awesome <laughs> bands and, and just you know and rolling stones of course too so I actually was getting these albums as they were being released. So it's, I started really early. And my dad was into it. That's interesting. Even though he's a jazz musician, 
he right. he he loved the Beatles and the Stones and all these you know bands. Mm-hmm. I probably left out a few other bands from that era, Bee Gees too, when they yeah. they popped up a little later. But you know all their stuff. So that was really like my my foundation, and I just loved that that music. And I left out a very important one, uh, the couple B bands, uh, Birds. I had Birds albums as they were coming out. And the, I loved those, and and Beach Boys too. And I put that in David just just so you know, <laughs> Beach Boys. We I wanna... kind of assumed it, but thank you anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Bad Finger, yes. I, I bought the Bad Finger albums as they came out. When I bought the Magic Christian soundtrack, my mom was concerned. She because she, she said the name's Bad Finger. That 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 doesn't sound good. <laughs> she thought it was like you know, flipping somebody off or something. <laughs> so my mom was more the conservative one and my dad was a free spirit. And he was, uh, so thank God my dad didn't, uh, you know, go buy the bad finger album. It's fine. So oh, you see the question, Jeremy, this is a really good one. Okay. Was there any one band where you said, this is what I want to do? Yes, I, I I had dreams that I was in the Beatles. <laughs> I, I I mean I I mean I was eight years old and I'm I'm I go to sleep and dream that I got to join the Beatles. That so that that you say I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. And, but wasn't um, wasn't it a great time to be young and even a kid? Because you know. Um, David's a few years older than you and I, Jeremy, so he can kind of re- relate yeah. to being. <laughs> but seriously, David though, being being, I'm just teasing David. I like to tease okay. him, but be, being young in the '60s, and I mean, you know, pretty young, or, or, it, but growing up through the '60s when all that music was on the car radio, when your mom and dad were, were driving or wherever it may oh, be fantastic. in the radio, it was just a great time to be impressionable, you yeah. know. It, it, it was. And uh, so here's an example of what happened when I when I got about 11, 11 years old, I I decided I was going to dress like the birds. And that was not fashionable to do at that time because, you know, we're moving into the 70s now. But uh, I, I, I bought the straight legged jeans and, and I and I had the bowl haircut and I go to school and people were making fun of me and calling me Prince Valiant. Because <laughs> of the way my hair looked, you know, I had bangs going over over the eyebrows, so you couldn't hardly see the. <laughs> yeah, I had a a a, a Michael Clark, uh, Brian Jones haircut, and the teachers say, "How can you see with your hairs in your eyes?" Well, I just thought it was cool. <laughs> At what age? What age did you start uh, uh, playing with other people and? Uh... Uh, trying to be part of a group or 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 you know, do things like that. Age twelve, um, well, I got a, a hold of a guitar, and in uh, the neighbor played drums, and then I knew a couple other guys. So we we formed our first band. We started writing songs right away, and um, but then doing a lot of covers too, and that what just went on from there. I I I just you know had never look back after age 12 just but i went through so many band names and a person just asked me yesterday 
why do you go by just Jeremy, you know? And I mean, sometimes we call it the Jeremy band. And, and I said, I had gone through so many bands, so many changes, so many names. And then I had to start over again every time somebody left and, you know, change the band name. And I said, I'm going to just go by my own name because I know I won't break up with myself. <laughs> and so if if the bass player leaves and then you get a different, well, in the case of Todd, he left literally. Uh, but I know Todd would have stayed on because he, he was with us for almost 20 years. Wow. He was great. He's awesome. And I, I he had no plans of stopping. It's just sometimes things go different, you know, so. So, you know, if, if I just go under my name, I could keep going, you know. Yep. So well, if you if you change the name to Morris, then we know there's a problem. Yes. <laughs> I will tell you the name of, of the first band I had and why I changed the name. And it won't be hard to figure out. Uh, the very first band I had, um, which was in 1972, I believe. Uh, was, was called Full Moon. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, like I thought it. it was a good name. Uh, but we got teased so much. <laughs> you, you've probably seen the Keith Moon album, Both Sides of the Moon. Yeah. 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 yeah well, any, but anyway, mooning was still a popular thing at that time. You know, you could get away with doing stuff like that. <laughs> and, and so when we had that name, you know, the, the pants would come down and um, people <laughs> in the audience would give us the full moon. And so, <laughs> quickly changed it. Uh, uh, changed hard for me to imagine yeah. you doing that, though. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I kept my pants on. I just wanted you to know. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's that's something you can save for uh, the next IPO Liverpool. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we had that. We had that happen. Joe, Joe Kane. Um, uh, okay, John Borak. I just outed <laughs> you, John. I know that's you. Okay, so I um, I'm glad somebody's going to play the new album. The closest you, you you talked about, uh, you know, I I'm I'm I tend to be uh, uh, modest, you know, but uh, we were doing an IPO at, in Liverpool, and 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 I don't think David, you were at this one, but we decided to do um, the Joe Cocker rendition of "A Little Help from My Friends" just for fun, and you know, because we're in Beetleland. And you know Joe Cocker in the early days he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't wear a shirt when he sang, and and so Dave is on the drums and and, and before we perform the song he goes I dare you Jeremy I dare you to take your shirt off when you sing this song oh, man so, I was on the other stage I missed this. So so I did, and I, I'm glad you missed it because uh, <laughs> I don't spend a lot of hours working out or anything like that. But I just did. I just played along. Plus, I was sweating like crazy anyway. But it was good for a laugh. But that's as far as I'm going. I'm keeping my pants on. <laughs> we had we had an act. Uh, Joe Kane um, came down from Glasgow, and he was he was doing a set. And he was he was he was uh, talking about his album, which was at the merch table. And this guy said, um, "If you uh, 
if you sign my arse, I'll buy your CD. Oh, and yeah, and he, he took his pants down and mooned everyone, and Joe signed his arse. And... <laughs> there you go. He sold a CD. But he did sell the CD, you know. And he sold the merchandise. It works, right? I guess that's so, Jeremy, crap. when did you record? When did you record your first record? Um, I re actually recorded my first album in 1977, and um, I know the album, the phrase "album." People, well, it says it have to be vinyl to be called an album. I just think of an album as a collection of music, yeah. and so um, it was called "Invitation," and I. The very first one was was kind of a solo thing. I played everything myself. I re re reissued it a couple of years ago on on CD, um, and it's it's it sounds like baby steps to me, like a a person you know learning how to record and write songs. So you know, but I I think of it as just part of uh, the whole process. You know, you have to start somewhere. So, uh, what year was that, uh, Jeremy? What year did you release your first? Uh... It was nineteen seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And and I was um, so I was I was nineteen years old, and um, the funny thing about that is that album, uh, a lot of college kids ended up really loving it when I reissued it. And they're all coming to me saying, we think this is your best album. <laughs> and of course, you know, I'm, I'm kind of inside rolling my eyes. And then I thought, <laughs> why, why are all these people liking that one as the best? And I realized it's because I was at their age when I recorded that. And so what I was writing about, they could totally identify. Right. Yeah. Good point. And I was at the time I was a single guy and I was kind of lonely and I was writing about, you know, just kind of being a guy who's kind of uh, kind of a loner on his own. And so they heard that and they oh, we like this. Yeah, like every power pop person, right. <laughs> like every power pop artist writing about girls that they don't have. Right. And, and, and that's what I was doing. And it's and I can't write those songs again now. Right. I mean, yeah. th that's the fascinating thing to me about not just recording music but songwriting is if you're really doing it for real you're you're going to write about what you are going through at the time and um so i turned 64 a couple weeks ago so now you know when i'm 64 uh, you can only be 64 once yeah, <laughs> and, and and then you got to write a song when I'm 65 or whatever. But but so I, but, but so back to you capturing it. When I go back and listen to those early recordings, I remember I was a very lonely person, and and I just you know I didn't have a girlfriend, and I was just kind of you know a very quiet person, and so I decided to put all my efforts into recording music and, and how I felt at that time. So if I listen to that first album, it takes me right back. I mean, it's like I'm right there at age 19 and I can remember exactly how I felt. And that's, that's what I love about uh, music is, you know, it's, it's, you're capturing a moment in time. It's not just, you know, a song. There's it goes so much beyond that. 
Sure. Yeah. The soundtrack of your life. Yeah. So, what is Jeremy? Go ahead, Rita. You have like been like one of the most prolific guys. Have you lost count of how many albums you've recorded since that first one, or do you know exactly how many? I have completely lost count. And <laughs> the reason that has happened is because if I'm going to sit and look backwards at everything I've done, I won't be working on the next album. And so just in this year in, in 2021, which is almost over, um, I put out four albums and it's all new material that was just recently recorded. And um, you can thank COVID for that yeah, yeah. because th there was more time to record. Um, and uh, so I just keep going because I feel like there's always something to say if you are writing about what's going on in your life. And so e even now, it's just the same deal. I'm writing about what's going on in my life right now. And as Rena said, and, and anybody that knows you, uh, you are very prolific. Um, I, I was curious, what is your process you know, as you go today and forward, um, or ha has it always been? Do you carry a little notebook with you? Do you speak into your phone? Do you record your thoughts on something? Because uh, it takes time to write all this material. It's, it's, it's all of the above. Okay. You said I've used my phone. Um, I'm, I'm in the car writing. That, the, the craziest thing is when a song comes in, I'm in the middle of driving down the road and I've got one hand on the steering wheel and the other with a pen writing on a pad, <laughs> the lyrics to the songs. And it's crazy. That's great. But, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I just, I do that all the time. I have pads of paper in my car and I'm writing songs while I'm driving. And sometimes my wife, uh, you know, she's trying to talk to me and say, I, I can't talk to you right now. There's a song. A song's coming. <laughs> I got it. Sorry, I'll, I'll talk to you later, because they they just show up. I, I don't I don't really sit down and say I'm going to write a song. I, I've never done it that way, and I don't think it would work if I did. If I said, "Okay, I'm going to go write a song now." Now, does does the music come first for you, or the lyrics, or is it kind of a half and half, or whatever happens happens? All of the above. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll get all the lyrics and I have no music and sometimes I'll get all the, the music and, and then the words later. And my favorite is when I hear the music and the lyrics in my head all at once. Uh, that doesn't happen as often, but I do love it when it happens. The song I wrote called it's getting better, which is ended up being one of my most popular ones that just, all came right in my head all at once i was just i think driving my car and i just started singing it and there it was yeah. Yeah. i love it when that happens it's yeah. oh god yeah speaking yeah. of god i just said that of course we have to have to ask about this um when this i i don't exactly know how to phrase this question but when did spirituality and religion become a big part of your life because as a kid it wasn't so much, was it? Um, I think people would probably be surprised to know that it actually was there when I was a kid. But it was it was more maybe something that I felt than I expressed. But I could always feel like there's something, a presence in the room. You know, it's like I could just feel 
I don't know, atmospheres or whatever you want to call it. I knew God was around and I wanted to get to know him and connect with him. And of course that didn't happen until I got older, but I just always knew that God was there. And I'm not a big fan of religion. Most people, they get to know me, they know that, but I yeah. am a big, I am a big fan of spirituality and just not to confuse people. When I say religion, I'm talking about, uh, the, you know, exclusive club religions that exclude everybody else and have a bunch of rules and regulations. And I, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's what God's about. I think that's man-made stuff. And I think that. And many people, and many people that will have negative aspects towards any religion are thinking in those terms. They're thinking of, you know, of, of what, what, is always broadcast as God and religion. It's, it's yeah. not the spiritual side of things where it is, it is, the, it is the all and, and the one. And, and uh, there's a big difference there. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's yeah. Really good. Just to clarify, because some people, um, you have to tell them what you're not talking about before they'll listen. <laughs> you, you know, you have to say, listen, this is what I'm not talking about. Uh, because there's so so many things are assumed and and so you mention god and immediately they think you're talking about religion but god's not a religion (laughs) you know he's not a religion people people create religions right and uh god is you know he doesn't need our help (laughs) you know i'm gonna help god out today (laughs) i'm gonna do something for god uh, Maybe a you know that, that whole mindset's just just crazy. I mean, I, I think it's the opposite. He's always doing stuff for us and helping us. And if we could just connect into that, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. But if I if I think uh, I'm going to help God out and do something for Him, now I'm becoming religious. Yeah, hey, so, good point. I, I hope it, it makes point. sense because, like I it said, uh, it, it took me a while to sort it out, and. Uh, I had to get off the religious road as fast as I could because the, first of all, the religious people couldn't stand me anyway. They, you know, they told me that I, they didn't like my music. They didn't like the way I look, the way I dress, blah, blah, blah. Here's my little poem for it. The religious poem goes like this. You, you can't do this. You can't do that. And you can't go forward and you can't go back. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Restrictions, you know. And I, I'll give you just one line that, uh, you know, I pastor a church and it's called freedom. And even the word church, again, has connotations. But it, believe me, it's not a, a religious place. But there's a line in the Bible that says where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. And I really believe that. And so uh, free to be me, you know, uh, everybody needs to be who they really are, because otherwise it's it's not going to be good. It's going to it's going to suck otherwise. <laughs> So your idea of utopia would be like John Lennon's Imagine, but with God and with possessions. Yeah, we, we've all heard this saying, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and see, so if, if God was the baby and religion is the, the, the bathwater, you know, you can, you can get rid of the dirty, stinky water, uh, the religious garbage, and still have God in your life and have a personal relationship with him. I mean, it's not hard, you know? And I think a lot of these musicians do. I mean, why does Brian Wilson write God only knows? And then he says, 
that's a holy song. Why does he say that? Because he knows where it came from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, how can you not feel that? <laughs> you you feel it. It's in the music. Yeah, indeed. Well, speaking of music, you know, uh, right behind me here, live for today. That's that's, the, yeah, that's I, the new one. That's the brand new one, and I've been uh, I've been rocking that. Uh, you sent me you sent me this. Uh, I don't know what a week and a half, two weeks ago, whatever it was. Yes. We, and it's just uh, uh, produced by Ken Stringfellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta tell you, sonically, it is just completely beautiful ear candy. It, 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 lyrically, as well, it's a wonderful CD, my friend. Uh, and I was thinking, turn to you is one. That's one of my favorite tracks on the uh, on the CD, and just absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sending Thank it my you. way, and I highly Thank recommend you. that to anybody. Pick up brand new yeah, from Jeremy. You know, I mean, today. Ken Stringfellow obviously has been going through a lot. He's had his issues, and people have, you know, people have differing opinions about him. But all that notwithstanding, you know, the the, the uh, meeting of the of your mind and Ken's uh, on the last two albums you've done uh, have just really just o- opened your music up to, to it's a whole new dimension, and it yeah, sounds just, so good. It just uh, something that you know again. These things aren't planned, but I had known Ken for a while. And uh, again, we can thank COVID for this. <laughs> but, you know, we were both in a situation where everything had come to a stop. And and we t- talked about doing some music together. And the idea was we're just going to try a few few songs just for fun. And then um, it was like it was more than fun. It was like it, it was just clicking. So we, we did the first album. And then, and then we got done with that. And, and he told me, he says, I am having so much fun doing this. And I said, well, so am I. So let's keep going. So we, hmm. we, you know, toward the end of this year, we did a second album. And, and we've already got a third one in the can for 2022. But I'm wow. going I'm, I'm to hold that one off a little while because uh, this one just came out. But yeah, yeah we're continuing to record. And um no plans of stopping. There's there's no reason to. Um, and what I love about the situation of working with him is that it's just, uh, I guess, synergy. I don't even have to say what I'm thinking when I write these songs. He knows exactly what to do, and it, it blows my mind. I, I don't know how he knows. But he uh, that, that's what I noticed. It, it still sounds like you, but it sounds like a more fuller production version of you that somehow he just gets you. Yeah, he, he totally gets it. And uh, and so I'll start singing a melody line and he just pops in with a perfect harmony. And uh, so we've got this thing where we're working our voices back and forth. And when I first uh, the first album was finished i said you know do you want to put this under a group name i said because you know you you really are seriously involved in this and his answer was very interesting he said he said well i'm just helping you and i i'm having fun doing this he said but at the end of the day it's really your album so just put it under your name and list me as producer Mm. so i said okay and so there you go and it works yeah yeah works well works well 
When um, did you start the label, Jeremy? When did you start Jam Records? And was it at the time just a vehicle for releasing your own stuff, or did you always had have uh, releasing other artists in mind? Um, I started Jam Records in 1983, and um, I, I, you know, the the indie label thing was kind of starting to surface you know i you know you had uh, enigma starting to pop up and it you know it's an interesting time and even gem records was you know still back then going too not jam but gem there's right. there is a jam gem connection but i'll get into that later um <laughs> but um i started it because uh i didn't you know i had i had gone actually and traveled across the country and met most of the record reps or the A&R people, you know, I, I went to Capitol, I went to MCA, all these different labels, Island Records. At that time, Ian Matthews was the guy who was signing the people, wow. which is interesting. All I, right. Yeah. That, that was his gig, yeah, you know. And so I was talking to all these people and and uh, Gem Records was one of them, too. But nobody... Everybody said it's it's a really it's a really nice album, but uh, thanks, but no thanks, you know. And and one label, uh, I don't understand why they said this, but they said we'd like to put your record out, but it's too good. Hmm. And I thought that, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> they said because we we want to go for a really you know indie, uh, rough, super rough sounding. And I said, oh, okay, it's too good. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, so I put it out myself and um, and put out the first album. I mean, that was the first one that wasn't on cassette. So I'd actually been doing this, you know, almost a decade earlier, you know, with, with cassette releases. But um, I put it out in vinyl and, and we pressed up 500, uh, 5,000 vinyl LPs and 1,000 single um uh, 45s and then we made music video and sent it to mtv and we did every you know everything we could think of to get the music out there and thankfully it got to people like jordan oaks who reviewed it gave it really good review and then i think david you read his review right or something like that yeah i read his review and and um back then you know there were there were no email addresses um but he had your mailing address mm -hmm. listed there and I said, I really need to contact this guy. And yeah, and I'm glad I, you did. So, yeah, I, I did send you a letter, and I left you my phone number, and you called me, and we we spoke for about an hour that day. Yeah, and it was and, awesome. Yeah, it was a great talk. And, and I had the same experience with Jordan Oaks. We got on the phone, and and it was like it, it started something like this. He goes, have you ever heard of Big Star? And I, I'm like, I love Big Star. And then it just went from there, and, and we found out that, oh, have you ever heard of the Dodgers? You know, all these <laughs> fans, you know, and I that was that was like my open door to realize, wow, there are other people out there that like the same music as me. And then and then Jordan immediately went to, have you heard of Shoes? <laughs> it's like, I love Shoes. Yeah, so th this was really cool to find out. At that point, there was no internet or or shows like this but there were other human beings out there that and if i sound a little biased uh, that like good music 
<laughs> I, yeah, I had the same experience. I, I really, I had a few friends who were who were into it, but I didn't think it was. I had no idea how many people across the country or around the world did. And yeah, and Jordan opened my eyes with with Yellow Pill. Yeah. Yep, indeed. Yeah, and that's just, I think it's the same for a lot of us, uh, especially pre, uh, you know, pre-internet days or when it was just you know the, the early part with AOL uh, uh, chat rooms or whatever it may be, and, and and you know finding not only that but people, but finding music that just you never you, you never come across, and yeah, all of, all of a sudden here's a whole world, the whole palette that is available to you and uh it's been mind-boggling ever since so as we've always said if people say that there's no good music being made today that's completely wrong there's no, tons of good music it, being played you just gotta you just gotta open your ears and listen to it yeah i have another so, question for you jeremy how did jam recordings become this like secret conduit to all kinds of awesome spanish releases that there's no place else to get in the u.s that's um, a great question good question yeah you need to take over for me, honey. You ask much better questions. Well, yeah, David, I, I, it's been nice working with you. If you could exit the room. I order most of my Spanish stuff through jam. Yeah. Um, but what happened was early on, and I'm going back to the 1980s, I was sending out all these mailing out records, you know, LPs. It cost $4 back then to mail an album, which is pretty good compared to now, like, what, 25 bucks? Yeah. Uh, so I was mailing out hundreds of records into countries like France and Spain and England. And two countries in particular early on that picked up were France and, and uh, Spain. And I found out that, the, you know, back in the 80s, that there were power pop scenes going on there. Maybe you've heard of Lolita Records. That was an early French label. Yeah. Maybe not, but they were, you know, the power pop stuff was was going on in those countries. Of course, there was no internet. And so I started to connect in early on with these labels and develop a relationship with them. And uh, And then I found out that they were releasing a lot of cool stuff. So I started a thing. It wasn't at this point distribution. This is the pre-distribution. We would do trading. And so I would trade with these Spanish labels and French labels, you know, and we'd, we'd trade each other's LPs and CDs. And then in the early 90s, it, it, all of a sudden I realized I could do distribution. I could become a distributor. Why, why, why not? help other people get this music and so rock indiana was just uh forming at that time and so i was involved with them right kind of right from the start and they liked what i was doing and i liked what they were doing so the trading turned into a distribution and i've been their distributor ever since and i don't know why more people don't distribute their stuff because they just are releasing amazing power pop they have that's my answer. That's it. Yeah. That, that, that's great. Yeah. Cause I always find stuff that like, you're the only U S guy who has it. I don't have to pay crazy shipping for it. Yeah. And that's the other thing, you know, with the shipping, but uh, rock Indiana is, is run by a guy named Pablo. And he then uh, invited me to, you know, take the band over. And we, we went to Spain and, and we 
we did all the venues across Spain, you know, going into different parts, you know, uh, from Madrid to Barcelona and in between. And then I had a big surprise. I found out there's a cavern club in Spain in the mm -hmm. uh, Zaragoza. And so we also played that, that cavern. Um, but it's, it's not underground. Okay. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just at ground level and uh, it's just a building, you know, <laughs> but uh, it was still fun and the crowds were insane there. And, um, and uh, you know, a bunch of drunken Spanish people can be pretty wild and people <laughs> running up to the stage and this guy keeps yelling at me, play, play me the yellows, play me the yellows. And I was really confused. And I said, uh, I said, I don't understand what your request is. And he goes, it's the opposite of the blues. Play me the yellows. <laughs> oh, that's deep. <laughs> On a lot of these trips, you know, you've gone to Spain, the, U the UK, France. You've ended up working with some, some of your uh, favorite musicians from the 70s. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. I know Anthony Phillips is one. Yes, um, I, I, when I, I've been to Anthony's place a couple times, and uh, he, you know he he's over <clears throat> kind of near the Surrey area, but anyway, uh, got you go in his house and see all his guitars in his studio and stuff, and then uh, you know he's a very very nice gentleman, and he bought me dinner, and we just talked about music and. He said he's considered me a comrade in this war against lousy music. <laughs> uh, uh, because he, he his quote was, I like to champion music as an art form. Now, that's a very British statement, but you get what he's saying. Sure. Mm -hmm. he, he, and, and so, you know, meeting him was great. And, and you know, just the friendship developed there. And um, and he's still going and, and, and doing his, his thing. Anthony is, I think, making most of his living uh, doing music for BBC television programs. He's got to eat, too. Um, so that that's my story with Anthony. Um, there are a few other musicians that I got to work with, uh, strangely enough, without even meeting them. But there's a guy, he... Uh, his name's John Bundrick, John Bundrick, and he goes by a nickname Rabbit. And, oh, yeah. and, and he's, he's, he was like, uh, he was a keyboard player in Jethro Tull for a while. And then he, uh, he was also um, from 1980 until 2015, he was the Who's keyboardist and played on all mm -hmm. their albums. So I got to meet him kind of through the internet and got some tracks from him and got to do some recordings with him and also uh, John Dawson, who was the one who kind of hooked that up. And, and uh, so, you know, you just meet people and next thing you know, you meet another person and next thing you know, you're, well, you know, it's like IPO. It's like, you never know who you're going to meet. And uh, so I had one crazy time. We were playing the cavern and, um, this guy sitting there really enjoying the, the set. And, uh, and then, and then I walked up and it was Joey Mullen from Badfinger. And 
you know, why is he there? You know, because <laughs> he lives in the U.S., right? Yeah. And, uh, and he's sitting there watching our set, and we started talking, and, and he's a very nice, nice man. And um, he was over there because of something to do. He was meeting with Apple Records because they were issuing all his stuff, and he's, he's collecting his royalties and, you know, and all that. And then he was very happy when they used his his music in the uh, uh, Breaking Bad soundtrack. But um, you just run into people, and that's that's the thing that's amazing. You know, it's not a planned thing. You just run into people and you get to know them. And and I I couldn't plan any of this stuff. It just happened. You know, people people are very drawn to you. And I wanted to close with this because it it, it was. It's one of the greatest things I've ever witnessed. Uh, you, you closed uh, one of the IPO nights on the front stage, you, you and the band. And um, I had to go to the backstage to take care of some business. And then when I came back, you were in the dressing room with like six people I'd never seen. And you were giving them a sermon about, about God. And I, don't, I have no idea how this even happened. But <laughs> no kidding. There you were. And it was it was so inspiring to me. I'll never forget it. Yeah, drunk, that's, drunk that's people awesome. were getting on themselves, and you made them feel good before they went home. That was just awesome. Uh, that that makes me happy. See, see, I be, I believe this simple phrase that God is love, and so if if people just knew that, you know, um, you know, He's on our side. Um, to quote the big star ballad of El Goodo. Uh, God, it's on my side, and that's in the song, you know. Um, and yep. why so many people would want, and this is where the religion kind of blows it, um, why would people want to represent God as the enemy? That doesn't make any sense. Um, he's for us. He's not against us, and he wants to help us, and he wants to bless us. And I know we all go through painful experiences, but if people can just connect with the fact that God really does love them, it's it's gonna make it's gonna be a game changer, and I guess that's part of what I share with people, you know, because people need to know that, and maybe some do, but there's a lot of people that they're very confused and they're hurting and they're suffering and they have questions and they say, if God's there, why is all this bad stuff happening? You know, I get that, but it doesn't mean He doesn't care. Doesn't mean right. he's not there is the thing, you know, he's, right. he's always there, you know, he doesn't pull, he's not the puppet master. He doesn't, he doesn't pull the strings and make, make whatever happened, happen. It happens. And he's always there. It's yeah, just, well, I, that's what I, you gotta. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I say this to people because the question I get asked probably the most, you know, especially as a pastor, is people come and say, well, if God is really there, why is all this bad stuff going on? Well, why doesn't he just stop it? And the answer is very simple. He gave all of us a free will. And if you allow a person to have a free will, that means that you have to allow them to make mistakes. And in order for that to happen, that means some bad stuff's going to happen, unfortunately. But Otherwise, we'd just be a bunch of program robots going around saying, I must be good. I must be good. I have no choice. I must be good. Yeah. So if people can get past that and they don't become offended, 
with the way their life is going, they can make the connection and have a better and happier life. But you have to have a personal connection. You can't do it through someone else. You have to get your own personal connection. And I believe it's in the music. See, that's why I love music so much. Because I, yeah. I believe that all the good music is, is coming from God. I really do. Yeah. I think he nice. gave us music to help us get through this life. <laughs> For sure. You know, I, you know, I'm having a bad day. Let's put on some music. That's a, that's anyway, a great way to we, end it. That's a great we, way to yeah, end it. Perfect yep. way to end it. Jeremy, uh, I'm sure Mark will agree. We didn't even scratch the surface with you in one hour. So we have to... Yes. Yes, Andy. Well said. We, we need to invite you back for another another time. Are you uh, are you good with that? Yeah. Anytime. I yeah, would indeed. love to. It's yeah. it's really enjoyable and fun talking with you guys. I love it. And uh, this has been a blast. Absolutely. Yes, my friend. Absolutely. Well, we wish you we wish you an awesome 2022 coming up. Uh, so, again, we will have you back on here. Uh, at, a, at, a, at another date in 2022. But for those who need to go to Jam Recordings and pick up the brand new Live for Today or any one of the four CDs that Jeremy has released in 2021, that's where you get them. But fantastic stuff for your collection. Make sure you pick it up. Jeremy, have a wonderful new year. Thank we you. We will God talk to you, you soon. Thank you, you so much, Bye Jeremy. Thanks. It's great Thank to see you, you as always. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Good night, right. Jeremy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Love to the family. Mm-hmm. Well, David, episode number fun. 32. I mean, and I, and I, yeah. knew, I knew that an hour wasn't going to contain <laughs> contain him because Jeremy has so many facets to his life. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's and great. So, you, know, yeah. you, you can't even scratch the surface in an hour with him. And uh, so we'll, we'll get him back and talk more about the label and uh, – more about God and more about all kind and more about the music he's into, because yeah, we could talk for hours about that also. Yes, um, indeed. Yes, uh, you, indeed. Know, our, our, the, you know, our tastes, all three of us, overlap quite a bit. So yeah, very much so. Yeah. No, that was a that was a that was a a very good one. A very uh, uh, well, it's it's the way we end 2021 with uh, our last show of the year and um, uh, our 32nd show. Uh, all together, but, um, and uh, we'll what do we got to look forward to in the new year, David? Um, twenty twenty two. Well, we'll have episode thirty three with a very special guest, especially for me. But without him, I I could say very very confidently I wouldn't be here today. My dad, Michael Bash, nice. uh, will be on, and he's not on just because he's my dad. He's had a very interesting life. He's accomplished a lot. And at age 90, he's still very charming, as you'll find out. And he's actually been doing a lot of podcasts lately because of his books. So uh, he's starting to get the feel of it. So this uh, this this will be really fun. And uh, then on the 12th, uh, as we've mentioned, uh, you, you'll be uh, otherwise engaged, but which... Which is always which is unfortunate, but the silver lining is it then gives me the opportunity to reveal my top hundred of the year, at the very least, depending on how quickly it goes. Uh, right. Maybe I'll then reveal some of my other lists, like top box sets and top re- 
top uh, single artist reissues or whatever. You could you could do a countdown like Casey Kasem, like you used to listen to in the seventies. I am going to kind of do it that way. Nice. Uh, nice. And uh, maybe talk a little bit about each release. So yeah. And then, I will, you know, I will kind of be there on the periphery, but I can't be part of it because I'm doing a, a live uh, basketball game that night. But I'll be around. I'll be listening to the best of myself. So uh, that'll I'll be, be hearing the ball swish through the hoop. Pretty much. You'll, you'll hear me go three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know they allowed threes in high school. Let's see, that shows where I. Yeah, they, I, I did not. I did not play in the day of three point the three point line. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. came after me. Yeah, yeah. and but. right, and then uh, on the nineteenth, we'll have the great uh, Dave Faulkner of Hoodoo Gurus. They have an album coming out in early twenty twenty two. So we'll talk about that, and of course, all the other things he's done throughout his his career. Great band. Uh, so that'll it'll, it'll it'll be wonderful having him on, and then on the twenty sixth, um, the reschedule of the power pop icon Dwight Twilley. Wow, yep. uh, we'll have him on on the twenty sixth, and um, we've you know we're still working on stuff for February. A lot of irons in the fire. Um, we'll we'll have a whole a roster of guests for that month pretty yep. soon. We got some pretty cool things. Uh... In the work, so hopefully that, that all works out, and uh, we'll look forward to. It. I think 2022 will be a, a fun year for material issues. And, Indeed, uh, it will. It will be our first full year. Yeah, full year, and we do uh, we do wish everybody a very happy new year, a safe um, celebration, and may you and your family, friends, uh, all be you know safe and healthy uh, in and the upcoming COVID free. year. And COVID free, yes, indeed. Um, but uh, God bless y'all. Uh, God bless you, David, Rena. Uh, two you of, too, Mark. Two, two uh, of my besties. Very happy uh, New Year. Yeah, very happy, happy New Year. And you and your family stay safe, please. Very good. Everybody have a great night. Good night. Absolutely. Bye.